Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Scott McAllister, at ST McAllister on Twitter. Today, we're going to talk about managing SaaS service configurations as code. Terraform is an open source tool that allows you to define your infrastructure as code using a simple declarative language. With just a few commands, you can define, manage, and deploy that infrastructure across a variety of SaaS providers and virtualization platforms. Our guests for the episode both come from HashiCorp. We have Paul Hinzey, Senior Director of Engineering for Terraform, and Robbie Tung, Director of Product for Terraform. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Hi there. So to get us started, describe Terraform for everyone and, and what's new to using it. Yeah. So I'd say Terraform is, I say to most people, Terraform is the best way to provision infrastructure, no matter kind of what you're using. And that I think was true for a fairly long time, but I think it's now the best way to provision a lot of things other than infrastructure. You can provision services, you can provision external kind of development tools, as well as just the infrastructure you can on cloud providers today. What would you add, Finzi? Anything else? Yeah, so it's essentially a tool that embodies this concept of infrastructure as code. This idea that you can capture the notion of any piece of infrastructure that you want to create as this declarative configuration, and it can drive anything with an API. So it's it's a really powerful tool, and it kind of sits at a relatively low level that allows you to express a lot of different things and provision a ton of different things. Now, Terraform is pretty popular today, and as it's gaining in popularity, when you introduce people and say, oh, I, I work at HashiCorp, I work on Terraform, what are some myths or common misconceptions surrounding Terraform? Let's see. I think the first misconception I would say that like it's important to try to get your head around is there's this moment where it clicks for people that I think it takes a while to get to. Like I, I've definitely seen plenty of people pull up the Terraform website, hear us talking about Terraform, and just go, what? <laughs> like it's a very abstract space in you know the overall DevOps world. And I think it really takes that sense of, it takes that trying it out and really playing with a little bit of configuration, provisioning your first thing in order for it to click. And so a lot of those common misconceptions are sort of like not even kind of having it all click in your brain. And for those folks, I think trying it out, really you get that aha moment of, oh, this is what this thing does. This is a really powerful tool. Yeah, I'd say that's true. I think the one that I come across the most is that people often think we only think Terraform is the way to do things. Mm. And that is definitely not true. A lot of people who are doing quite maybe simple things with infrastructure, or they're doing uh, things with smaller teams sometimes say, well, why can't I just use console? Why can't I just use like uh, this other tool that I was using, like Ansible or something like that? And it's like, yeah, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad to use other tools like instead of Terraform if it doesn't match your use case. I think the aha moment for Terraform is when you have to do something a lot or when you have to do something with a lot of people or a lot of different groups when it comes to infrastructure or services. And if you're not there, it's, that's totally fine. You don't need to use Terraform. It may not be the best thing for you, but I think we believe it's the best way to provision stuff. So it's that's, that's the thing we're focused on, but it doesn't really matter if you use it in concert with other tools or if you don't use it at all for some things. Yeah, and that ties back into the HashiCorp philosophy of uh, the way that we build our tools is we build them in order to be incredibly interoperable and incredibly sort of well-scoped to a specific problem space designed to be able to work alongside of, you know, the plenty of great tools that we have in our space. That's been our philosophy from day one. And I think it really, it's a user-centric philosophy, which allows us to be able to go to our users and say, 
hey, let's figure out what works for you. Maybe in this case, it's Terraform. Maybe in this case, we should hand off to something else. And yeah, I think it gets more users more successful. I like what you said about how you have a user-centric philosophy. I think in software today, none of our products can run alone, right? Like we, we all have to interact with each other, even if we're like almost direct competitors, right? I mean, you still need to provide what best benefits the user. So that, that's a great philosophy to have. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the common stumbling blocks that people have for getting started with Terraform? Oh, man, so many. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll start with the first one, but I think that it goes in two stages for us. There's two distinct stages for us. I think when you start with Terraform, wrapping your head around infrastructure as code is probably the, the very first one, especially if you've come from a world where a point-and-click editor is how you've managed infrastructure or you've come from a world where like, you go through a series of web forms to get infrastructure that is... If, you, if you're coming to, from that uh, to infrastructure as code, then dealing with that, uh, that initial hurdle is probably uh, the biggest thing to get your head around. And then, of course, HCL is an opinionated language. It's an opinionated form of writing infrastructure. And so you have to like maybe cross that barrier as well. But I think the trade-offs, kind of similar to other languages like Go for doing infrastructure provisioning are probably worth it when it comes to uh, decorative stuff. But then after you've got past those things, there's another barrier waiting for you, which Finzi knows all about. <laughs> yeah, so you know that first barrier of sort of getting familiar with this con- this idea of writing configuration to describe infrastructure and then using Terraform to provision that infrastructure, that's stage one. So then you've got this code, which is has all of these great properties that allow you to version it. It allows you to share it with your team. They allow you to collaborate on infrastructure. And as you start to take advantage of those values of infrastructure as code, you run into, honestly, a lot of the same problems that you do in application configuration or application authoring, which is how do I organize a larger set of configuration? How do I organize a repository? How do I share this repository with my team? And how do I wire it up so that I know only one person is making changes at a time? We want to have approvals happening such that you know no one person makes changes at a time. And you st- start to stack these on each other. Okay, now I've actually factored this in multiple repositories. I want to share code between these repositories. And it's so funny that, you know, so every Terraform user goes on this journey of scale. And it's really easy to forget that we have this huge body of knowledge. Uh, like the, the whole concept of infrastructure as code is this idea that we're borrowing all of these practices that we've been using for years for managing complexity from application development. And so, you know, uh, helping people under like link their brains back to the ways in which they solve these problems for application code, because a lot of the solutions are going to be the same. You want to share code between repositories. Well, that's very similar to having a library that you share between your application repositories. Things like like that. So there's this sort of, you know, maturity model. Uh, as you scale, as you further sort of, you know, invest in using Terraform, there's new hurdles to jump over, but there's a lot of help around. I like how you compared configuration as code as application development, because I think that's one of the strengths of doing configuration as code. As a developer, coming from my background, as I was getting into Terraform a little bit, I kind of came in backwards, I guess you could say. I was introduced to Terraform because I arrived at PagerDuty and someone said, hey, we have this thing called Terraform and the provider we have needs some updating. And I said, okay, (laughs) what's this? And so I kind of just kind of jump into it like every software engineer and just try to figure things out. But I learned how Terraform worked by doing provider development first and then (laughs) figuring out uh, what this infrastructure is code or configuration is code concept was. But that, that is the part that people start asking me questions about Terraform. They say, okay, now what's the best practice about how to do this and how to organize my stuff? And that was kind of where I 
stopped. I was like, I don't really know. And so I kind of started talking about application development principles because it made sense. It was like, well, you probably want to, you know, separate concerns and kind of put things, organize them a little bit, just like you do your code. So that's a really good point. Yeah, that's, that's it. Exactly. I think, I think the longer we've gone on, we've seen more parallels to the application development framework. Like, in some ways, the organizational and the scaling challenges you have with Terraform now are kind of similar to why application development got to CICD. Like you wouldn't have done CICD if you're just a solo or a small team, but you probably do it now in a larger group or in a larger organization. And it's kind of similar with Terraform. You might not have used uh, Terraform in the way that you maybe use it in a larger organization. And so those challenges are pretty, they're pretty appropriate for kind of where we're at. <laughs> for sure. So I, you all have had a lot of experience watching customers and users use Terraform. What are some ways that have been surprising, like some use cases that have just kind of, you didn't see coming that users have been using Terraform for? I have so many of these. <laughs> I have so many of these. Yeah. <laughs> I think the number of providers is pretty staggering. I don't think we, like Finzi was saying, everything, uh, really anything that's API addressable is something you can write a Terraform provider around. And I don't think we ever saw as many things being addressable and uh, useful uh, with Terraform as there have been created to the comedy ones, which is like the ordering pizza provider. Yeah, you got to um, imagine anytime you talk about, you know, surprising <laughs> providers, you can order a pizza with Terraform. We'll have to stop. What? Tell me, how do you order a pizza with Terraform? Like, I got to know. <laughs> Turns out, I think, uh, is it Domino's that has Domino's, a, yeah, an API, Domino's. is API addressable? And uh, so, yeah, I think it was April Fool's this past year, an engineer put together <laughs> a fully functioning pizza provider and uh, yeah. it works and it's so it's it's beautiful. you should use it yeah it's, that is uh, it's the only way to order food <laughs> that is you'll never, yeah you'll, you'll be sure of your order of the pizza like you know you know exactly before you know because you can do the terraform plan you can yeah, make sure that so the pizza you, looks right before you apply the, the pizza. you can collaborate on the pull request i mean we've been working <laughs> with Domino's for a while to get it in the adverts like the mobile app and the terraform configuration <laughs> side by side i think would probably yeah, be they, great marketing yeah they're not taking our <laughs> calls uh, about trying to cross market terraform and, but uh, yeah <laughs> but to a certain extent i think like something like PagerDuty is pretty surprising as well because it, it makes sense now, but I think when you look at what PagerDuty does, the relationships that you set up within PagerDuty and the things that you want to kind of alert on, when you get to a large scale, in some ways, like our configuration, they are kind of repeatable. They are something that you want to be seen in a central uh, manner and you also kind of want to be able to have them shared. And so PagerDuty in a way is is surprising, but in an in awesome way because yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You would want to scale that. You would want to have that as something that's mapped. And so I think there's the provider ecosystem is kind of like the constant source of surprise for me outside of like obtuse product uses, which we've definitely seen a lot of as well. Yeah, it gets to the point where essentially you realize that Anytime you're clicking more than five times in a UI, you're really attempting to get some job done. And if that job is like modeling an idea, which in PagerDuty it absolutely is, even when you're ordering a pizza, what you're doing is you have this idea of this pizza that you want. And if there is an API addressable layer there, like that is an opportunity for Terraform to consume that API and allow you to just say directly in a configuration, a declarative configuration, this is what I want. Um, and that's just a really powerful concept that can be applied in all of these different ways. And I think like, you know, complicated configuration in SaaS products, access control in SaaS products is often becomes complicated. And yeah, I think it, there's a surprise around every corner once you start to play out that concept across all of the, you know, incredible numbers uh, and growing numbers of API addressable SaaS software. Yeah. 
I'm totally going to use that pizza analogy or at least you have I mean, to. the fact that it's an actual thing. I mean, you can use it as an analogy easily because everyone can picture a pizza and configuring what you want mm-hmm. on a pizza. But the fact that it actually is out there is just hilarious. So <laughs> yeah, that's, great. that's awesome. <laughs> so what do you see as, as the trends? I mean, do you see more SaaS configurations being configured as opposed to like virtual machines or what do you see on the horizon for Terraform? Yeah, I think the I think the industry has kind of followed Terraform, which is obviously nice. That's a nice compliment to the work Mitchell and Armand did. But it's, um, I think you've seen the cloud providers kind of move in that direction. More things, more features seem to be coming out every year, every quarter now, actually. Azure Blueprints, uh, the work that Amazon is doing around like strengthening cloud formation. I think everyone is starting to go along the line of, uh, of like configurations as the way to go in terms of like deploying infrastructure because it's necessary, I think, when you try to scale, uh, when you have to do a lot of infrastructure provisioning or you have to do a lot of service provisioning. So I, I think that will probably continue. And I think we'll probably see a line where it starts to intersect with the old way of doing this kind of work, which is the kind of the point and click tooling or some of the more graphical based tooling. I think there will be a kind of intersection there, which there are some tools out there today which are trying to make that happen. But I, I don't honestly don't think it will stray too far. I think we'll eventually kind of stabilize into like this is just like there's a certain way for all of these kind of configurations to interact, and there's hopefully a way for uh, things to plug in. I mean, we're of the opinion that multi-cloud is just is just going to be the way. So I think making sure we have a way to write configuration against a lot of different services with. Terraform being the answer that we we thought of is the way to go. Whereas I think other uh, companies are looking at like you know one service or maybe uh, one provider as uh, something to target. But either way, it doesn't kind of matter. I think as long as people uh, are writing code for infrastructure, I think it all comes out to be good in the end. Yeah, I think the if there's one trend that's been so like resoundingly true, it's there's no world in which there are fewer services. There's no world in which there is less software. And that trend line is not proving to change and doesn't look like it's going to. And so I think when you have, you know, the number of average tools that a given shop is using to manage their infrastructure and all of the sort of services surrounding that infrastructure has been going up for a while. And I think the approach Terraform takes to sort of give you a layer that allows you to configure, you know, side by side configure your AWS account, your Azure account and your PagerDuty alerts and your observability platform and your logging platform. That's where I think we're we're really excited that you know we we find ourselves in this very useful place for people to, that help uh, in, in in a space where we can help them manage that complexity by providing a common workflow across this, you know, continually exploding set of software. As long as there are APIs, you know, we can write providers and uh we can ask the community to write providers and get Terraform helping you out. And where you said there, how the, there is not going to be a world with less software that is so true and leads us right into talking about providers. I mean, when people write software that needs to be configured, a Terraform provider seems to be in their future. Uh, and each of these are open source. They're built and supported by the communities surrounding Terraform, not necessarily by HashiCorp. Uh, in fact, the PagerDuty provider was created by a developer in Sweden three years ago. Uh, he continues to remain involved with the project and is one of the main maintainers today. And he said he did so because of the positivity in the Terraform community. He just he was super scared to actually submit the pull request to merge the provider in. 
uh, to the point that he actually had to have his fiance click the button to open the pull request. Oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Adorable. and uh, it's a good thing she did because I mean, the pager duty provider for Terraform is hugely, hugely used, hugely successful. He's yeah. still involved today, even though he's you know not an employee or anything. He still believes in the community, and because the community has been so supportive. So talk about how everyone or anyone can write a provider for Terraform and how they can get help from HashiCorp and or the community. Yeah, yeah the, the PagerDuty provider is surprising. I think I was talking to someone from there recently and we were looking down the list of providers because we were looking at activity just in general. And I think PagerDuty provider was like, it was, it was a lot of people were using it, had some insane amount of downloads. And I was like, wow, that is way higher than <laughs> I thought it would be. It's like 40,000 or something. Last I heard That's we were number really 19, crazy. I think. In- yeah, that's wow. about right. I remember seeing PagerDuty in the top 25. Is, so. Yeah, pretty yeah. insane. Yeah, we, we have, I mean, we have a full team of people that are working on the SDK. And honestly, shout out to the provider community in general and also our provider team at HashiCorp. They work really, really hard to try to make developing a provider as easy as it can be, uh, especially in the last like year when you know we had a major language change with 0.12. That, that team is doing a really good job. But th- I mean, that's not to say that they're, it's really hard to know, I think, what the new experience is like, especially when you've been working in it for so long. So that person who wrote the PagerDuty provider probably could tell us a lot about what that's like. And I'd, I'd imagine you could now as well. I think we can always improve with that. And so hopefully we'll get more new people writing providers so that they can tell us, you know, where are the areas that we can improve? I think it's good today, but I think it can always definitely be better. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but I think that story is so like, it's, that's just such a great story of open source. And I think that's one of the special things about the origins of HashiCorp and the way that Mitchell, especially as this sort of very open source focused, you know, individual, he worked on Vagrant open source for almost five years before starting this company. And the way in which he, instilled in everyone here his philosophies around maintaining that sense of positivity in the community that sense of welcoming it's so cool for me to hear that like it's really still having an impact you know years into hashicorp and like you know getting us the first version of the pager duty provider due to that sense of welcoming that sense of positivity that's like a testament to like how important that work has been and how important it continues to be to really maintain that community so that's one thing and then i think from a tooling perspective this is something that we want to take that sort of that sense of that community sort of mindset and bring it into ever improving tooling, right? We wanted to get easier and easier over time. And that's something that you'll see us continuing to move on. So within the past year, uh, we did a big overhaul of our extend documentation on the website. The documentation in order to write a provider got a huge boost. Now we're working on the SDK. We recently extracted the SDK from the core repository to allow us to iterate on it more quickly. And so you'll be seeing more improvements there. And I think there's a lot of bigger things in the works as well. The ideas uh, we're, we're working on not only authoring providers, but also publishing them, making it easier for community members to publish providers without having to coordinate with us as much to get their docs published and to get the providers available to, for downloading and terraforming it. So there's a lot of gears turning on our side that we're continuing to invest because we know that the providers make Terraform. They are the thing that makes Terraform do what it can do. For sure. And as a developer, getting involved with a provider project was my first introduction to Go, which is what the providers are written in. And nice. I liked having uh, be or being involved in a project that was so well structured, right? Like you had, you require the, the testing and things that are necessary in order for things to get 
published into the project. So I, I really liked, I guess you say having bumpers or guardrails to kind of get me into a good spot and learn how to do it the right way, I guess you could say. So that I, I can attest to the the well-structuredness of the community and the of the tooling there. So. Yeah, that's a common story. We have a lot of folks who are who pick up Go in order to write a Terraform provider. And that is, you hit the nail on the head, which is there's a ton of sort of sibling sort of structures that you can borrow from. If you're adding a resource to an existing provider, you look at the other resources alongside. If you're starting a new provider, grab the structure from a sibling provider. The docs are great too, but there's also a ton of examples out there. Completely. And that's exactly how I, I added my resource when I added the resource to the PagerDuty provider was going off the example of the other resources there. So that was exactly how it worked for me. Cool. So what should listeners know about what's next for Terraform? I think the, the next thing for Terraform is for us to try and give more back to the community in all honesty. Uh, we earlier, uh, well, last year now, God, it's a new year, you always forget. It's, uh, <laughs> last year now, we launched Terraform Cloud and Terraform Cloud was a way for us to try and tackle the second part of the problem that uh, Finzi was talking about. It's really easy to get going with infrastructure provisioning, but it's pretty hard to collaborate or to find the best practices around sharing and collaborating and working together with other people in Terraform configuration. And so Terraform Cloud was an answer to that. And we wanted to give as much of it away for free as we possibly could. So there's a pretty generous free tier where people can get started. And I think we're going to try and continue to add to that. There are other challenges and there are other things uh, that are coming into that product so that it becomes much easier to use Terraform with a group of developers, like maybe a small group of people or a, a small team inside your company, uh, just to get started with Terraform working together. We have like improved user management, which uh, just came out. And I think we have a couple of more workflow improvements that we kind of want to do as well. I think uh, one of the things that Terraform Cloud introduces is the, a way to uh, launch Terraform with uh, VCS with like a, a GitHub or a GitLab or a Bitbucket connection. and um, that's something I think we want to try and improve as well over time. I think that's the next immediate kind of couple of things. Longer term, I suppose we'll have to do another version of uh, Terraform Open Source at some point. <laughs> but, but who knows when that will be? <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. We're, we're working on stuff. Is we're working on well. stuff all the time. Yeah. The thing is, we've got teams working across the providers, open source, Terraform Cloud, and Terraform Enterprise now. And we're all making progress and it's been really exciting to see sort of what we can get done together with, uh, you know, sort of teams on all these various parts that, of what has become a pretty vast surface area for the overall sort of set of Terraform functionality. But I think Robbie's right that the key thing for us sort of is really continuing to invest in these more complicated problems that arise once you start to scale your Terraform usage. So like down when you're getting started, it's all about smoothness. We want to continue to smooth out that experience from I don't know what Terraform is to I I am, as an individual, successful using Terraform. That's a sanding operation that we're going to be continuing to work on. And then the next step is I want to use Terraform with the team. That's something we also want to be absolutely, the steps need to be totally obvious. And then once you say, okay, my team has grown, I'm working in multiple teams on it, like collaborating on infrastructure, that's where things get really interesting. And those are the problems that we're solving in Terraform Enterprise, helping people sort of, you know, share modules across multiple teams, version them across multiple teams, start to work on policy and governance stuff and, and controlling for various things you want to be able to prove can or can't happen uh, against your infrastructure. So at each of these layers, there's like so much interesting, like meaty problem space for us to continue to work on, which is why it's exciting to be able to have so many teams to like make progress on all of these different areas. So yeah, there's lots to do. Sounds like it. So this is actually the first Page to the Limit episode 
that we've recorded that was not and we were all in being in the same physical room. Paul, Robbie, you oh, you yeah. and I and all of us are are talking to each other over Zoom. And so the power of the yes, internet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's become a thing, yeah. the internet. So, so cool. <laughs> so we're transitioning to this format. And uh we have a couple of recurring questions that we wanna that we ask uh, each of the people in our show. So, and they're a little bit off the general main topic, but just everybody gets asked these. So the, the first one is, what's one thing you wish you would have known sooner when it comes to running software in production? <laughs> oh, man, that list is pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pick one thing of the many, of the many you wish you had known sooner. Right. Uh, for me, I think the big thing I wish I could have, I could have instilled in my, in my younger self is pivoting your understanding of failure as from like failure in a system failure in, in terms of bugs in a system uh, in terms of unforeseen events as being less sort of scared of it being less freaked out when it does happen and accepting it that's been a huge like being able to do that sort of like perspective pivot on failure i think is something that was really important for me sort of in the middle of my career that i wish i could have done earlier to say failure is the system giving you new information failure is an opportunity to improve failure is natural it is something that is always going to happen and it's always something that you can expect and so yeah that's the big that is one one sort of insight that i wish i could smear earlier in my career because i think it would have saved me a lot of stress <laughs> it would have saved <laughs> young finzi a lot of stress to be able to like have me say like hey failure is okay you can it's part of it <laughs> I, an easy plug would be to get your kind of uh, reporting structure for pager correctly early on because having been woken up uh, several times early in the morning because that wasn't sorted as in the night. <laughs> that is definitely one thing. But um, I guess the, the most obvious answer for me is not switching up technology so quickly. I wish I could have told myself that many years ago. I think there's always a feeling like you have to adopt something new or something that's really hot based on how high it is on Hacker News or something like that more quickly. And I don't think that's ever paid off any time that I've done it. It almost would have been faster and better and slightly more efficient if we'd just continued working on a stack that we were familiar with or on a kind of tool set which we were kind of more integrated with at that point as opposed to trying to adopt something new. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, totally. And oh, the lamentations of every software developer everywhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. All of us have those projects that we got halfway done, three quarters of the way done and said, ooh, new shiny, new framework, new language, new this, new that. I'm totally mad. Yeah. So is there anything about running software in production that you're glad we did not ask you about? <laughs> This is a um, trick question. This is a trick you're trying to get us to... T <laughs> I'm always glad when people don't ask us how much we use Terraform. Because the secret is not at all. We absolutely... No, that's obviously not true. It's, uh, I think the thing for me, like people, I'm glad people don't ask uh, often, is how is Terraform Enterprise or Terraform Cloud built? Because I like getting back to the first questions, because I think it ultimately doesn't really matter. I think the thing that matters the most is potentially, you know, obviously how we run the service and if the product is uh, answering the right kind of problems that your company or uh, team is facing. But uh, I think running software in production, asking what we use is kind of uh, like a, a pretty poor indicator of maybe what is the best thing for you to use or what might be appropriate for your team. And so it comes up quite a lot. And I think we've seen more of a focus on this in the last few years where, you know, 
people are trying to learn what some companies do. But it often isn't the best way to you know, make your choices about what you should do. I think sometimes uh, considering what's more important for you in terms of what you're trying to get done is uh, a much better place to start as opposed to looking at uh, people who've maybe done something differently depending on the challenges that they're facing. Yeah, that's a really good answer. I think I'm going to dovetail off of that answer because I think it is such a it's such a common like it's and it's natural too. I think we make these tools and I think the natural sort of idea of saying, well, how does HashiCorp do it, right? Tell us exactly how your VPC is arranged in AWS because we want to copy like that's that's probably going to be the best. And I think we spent a long time. At, we're now getting to the size of a company that we're starting to approach some of the like problems of scale that for a long time we just didn't have. We were a smaller company than many of our customers, and so that was a a constant sort of back and forth of them saying, well, how do you do it? And it's like, well you know, at the time or whatever, you know, it's like, we're a 50 person startup. How do you think we do it? We do it like a 50 person startup does it. You know, we don't have, you know, the kind of constraints that you might have as a global 2000 enterprise. And that gap is closing slightly, but I, I think Robbie's got the right idea, which is we really have to constantly take that conversation and say, you don't want to know, like, we can tell you how we do it, but that's not going to be all the information you need. We need to talk about, you know, the way that you do it. And really uh, facilitating that feedback loop where the reality is that a lot of our customers are running our tools at scales where they are generating the, the vanguard of information of, you know, what it's like to run them at scale. And so for us to have really good relationships with those customers so that we can learn from them and we can bake those that knowledge back into the product, back into the documentation and the best practices guides and stuff like that. But the knowledge is not all coming from us. It's coming from our users using the tools and us talking with them. And I think ultimately that's really exciting, but it is kind of counterintuitive. It is common for people to come to us and be like, well, you've got all the answers. And it's like, no, we don't. We're gonna, we have to figure all this out together. We have very few answers. <laughs> Actually, we, a very, like, we often don't have many answers. <laughs> like, the experts and uh, nothing. We're trying to build the best provisioning platform that we can. So we often don't know things like alerting or logging like or best practices for what like a customer is trying to do. We're never, we're never going to be good in those aspects as other people would be. We're always just going to try to make the best provisioning platform that we can. That's really all, all that we're going to focus on. <laughs> and that's where you come back to the community sense, right? Which is yeah. like, that's where we can foster these relationships with other vendors, with other members of the community, with other folks just slinging software around online and to be able to make those recommendations, make those connections to people. Because we do, we want to make our customers successful. And the answer being not always HashiCorp knows the answer, but HashiCorp can maybe help you, in, you know, help introduce you to the folks that might be able to help you out. Absolutely. So true. So true. As we, as we mentioned before about software, but even about our companies and our people, we don't live in silos. We all, the, the sharing of information is back and forth. And uh, yeah, it, it, none of us are experts on all things. We focus on one little thing or whatever our focus is. And then we, we share that information around with each other. So that, that's a great point. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for being on the show today. I think our listeners have definitely benefited from the the knowledge and experiences you all have shared with us. So thank you for coming on. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. That's great. And thank you for listening today. This is Scott McAllister, and I'm wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes on pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageit2thelimit using the number two. That's at pageit2thelimit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.